Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Um, okay, welcome everybody uh, to Digging In. We do this once a month at the Baptist Church of Westchester. Uh, there are folks here with us in person as well as on Zoom. And then we also put this out as, on our podcast channel and people can listen later. Um, tonight's topic is all about religion and science. And with us, we have our guest uh, philosopher from Westchester University, Dr. Matt Pierlot. Dr. Matt Pierlot is an associate professor of philosophy again at Westchester University. He primarily teaches courses in ethics, including issues of agency, moral responsibility, and leadership. He also teaches courses on the philosophy of science, philosophy of religion, and the relationship between religion and science. He has presented and published on a variety of topics in the field and is committed to promoting accessible, inclusive, and meaningfully applicable philosophy. He earned his BA in philosophy and English from Scranton University in 1997 and a PhD in philosophy from Marquette University in 2006. He's the co-director of the Interfaith Meaning Making and Spirituality Project at WCU, which supports the efforts of students, faculty, and staff to create interreligious dialogue and support those navigating their religious identities on campus. So welcome, Matt. We're glad you're here with us tonight. Thank you for having me. Well, <laughs> that's right so we have a few questions and the way this works is we'll we'll ask i have a few questions for you and then um, we'll open it up to everybody and that's where things get most interesting yes. so we'll, we'll prepare we'll ease you into it and some questions for you but um, folks on zoom will be welcome to participate too but our first question is just to tell us more about yourself um specifically your professional life and your spiritual or religious background and anything else you think would be helpful for us to know Sure. Um, so yeah, I so I was I'm a Philly boy. I was born in Philadelphia, grew up in Pensalkin over in New Jersey. Um, was raised Catholic, still identify as Catholic, although I have a complicated relationship, I think, with the church yeah. at this point. Um and I, you know, my father and mother uh were were both very re- religious and spiritual people. Uh, my mother was very much into you know uh being a part of the church and and running uh, blood drives for the church and taking care of uh, people in the community. I learned piano from a woman that she, uh, that was her, she didn't have much family and my mother sort of took her on. And so I got, I had piano lessons from her and it was wonderful. Um, and and she did a lot of her spirituality was through works. And then my father, he was very artistic. He's very like open-minded. And I just remember being young and he would uh, come home with like the Upanishads or like some, you know, Bhagavad Gita. And like, he'd say, oh, look at this and read it. And I didn't know what I was reading. I don't know that he necessarily knew what he was, but he just wanted me to be exposed to stuff. And he liked it to, he saw God in everything. He was a photographer. He loved nature photography. So those influences on me, um, yeah, have just left an impression. So especially when I come to philosophy uh, of science and the philosophy of religion, what drew me to that was I think oftentimes we see them in conflict with each other. And I've like never seen it that way. I've always sort of been in an environment where uh, nature and God are, they work together. They're part, they're part of the, of the same whole. So um, 
coming to, to figure out why people see attention in that was something that was of interest to me and then figuring out how we can resolve some of those apparent tensions while became some, something I wanted to do, something I pursued. Let's talk about those tensions a little bit. Why do you think they show up? Why do you think those are there's a false tension there? How do you help people think through that tension? Yeah, so there's a there's a course that uh, I taught with a physicist at, at the at Westchester University for many years. Uh, we co-taught it together. Uh, and in that course, uh, we talk about the different ways people can think about the relationship between religion and science. And we can think of them as being uh, as enemies, as antithetical to each other. And there's different reasons why we may think that. So part of it is what kinds of questions they're asking and the methods they go about answering it. So that element, that the fact that they seem to be after different things, uh, but then they come up with answers that may not, they may conflict. Mm -hmm. And so if we're not really attentive to the to how different the questions are and what the, the, the aspect of reality that they're really speaking to and the methods that they're using to come up with those answers. If we just take those answers, there's this apparent contradiction. Mm -hmm. And I, people who take that very seriously um, and don't see that maybe they, there's ways to synthesize them end up feeling like they have to defend what's most important to them. And so I think you find some people who are religious who need to reject uh, scientific findings if it if it conflicts with deeply held beliefs. And then on the other side, you have find, find people who take science as a kind of religion, as a kind of faith that provides the same sorts of answers as, as, as religions. And that I think is not satisfactory but also it adds to the tension. You know, that if that's how I see the big questions being answered is through this methodology, then I have to reject religious thinking and spirituality. And spirituality. You talked about the methods of yeah. science and like the methods of religion. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean? Like what, what do you mean by method? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I uh, one way of articulating for science, and I'm sure you, you're aware of this and you've heard, well, you've heard things like this before, like uh, science is naturalistic, right? And there's something we call methodological naturalism, that if you ask a question about like where do flowers come from or why, why do flowers behave the way they do, in science, the answer has to be, you know, from nature. You have to have something you can observe with your senses, uh, measure it. Uh, any any uh, response that science provides to us, this has to be something that gets checked out by everybody else just through their basic experience. And that's a methodology to come up with an answer. Meaning it only really answers one level of why a flower is the way a flower is. And if I forget that that methodology is only designed to speak to one aspect of how I experience the world, and I think that that's the only way to answer the question, it seems like it's given me a complete answer or at least as complete as anyone will ever get. And outside of that methodology, it's all just make-believe or fantasy, right? So there's no way to answer it outside of this rigorous method. Uh, but, you know, poets often talk about flowers, and they give us an insight into flowers. And there's a truth to how poetry speaks to the human experience that science doesn't really, doesn't capture. Um, and that that side of the method, right, that the... There are different sorts of questions we have that require us to approach things with a different lens and look for different things. That's not erased simply because we have 
this nat this naturalistic methodology. Uh, and the, I think one of the things I think can easily happen for all of us is that if I have a tool and I use it to get to an answer, I can then start to think that that, that tool itself is the like the bedrock of all answers. Mm -hmm. And that leads to something. It's not method, it's not a methodological naturalism. It's now a, a I would I would call it a religion of naturalism, but it's a metaphysic, a metaph metaphysical presupposition that the only thing that exists is a natural world that I can describe through what I see and what I measure. But that's oftentimes a world that's devoid of many of the, the beauty and the love and all the things that really touch the human heart and are are actually part of why scientists even start to ask questions about truth that like at the very heart of science are these very human values and human experiences that science itself as a method could not really speak to. So these human impulses mm -hmm. that lead us to ask questions and then sure. the process in which we answer those questions might vary. And yes. so yeah. what are some of the questions then for a philosopher who's interested in science and religion? What questions are you asking? Uh, so I, I guess one of the big ones is ethics. Mm -hmm. um, we're all involved in the moral questions of trying to understand our own lives, what values we're supposed to live by, how to live a good life. And none of those are really spoken to by some kind of naturalism, like looking at the world and they don't provide any answer to that. In fact, if there is an answer, it almost seems like there is no real morality that's false. That's an illusion. And I think a lot of the concerns, anxieties that people have maybe is if they've turned away from spirituality because they're, they're, they've had an experience, a bad experience, or they've uh, somehow been influenced that religion is, you know, is against rationality or something like that, then they often feel lost because those questions can't be answered easily and readily. And they certainly seem like they are not the sort of thing that fits into that, that worldview. And there's a, I think there's a lot of damage to that. So I think ethics would be one of those, one of the areas, which is values. And, but then also things like what the mind is, like what are, what is even rationality itself? Like the fact that we're, we ask questions and we're trying to reason and understand. It's a kind of magnificent thing that we are the way we are. And if certain, certain views of the world, leave that as just this kind of random thing that you shouldn't really pay too much attention to because it's a, a misguided blip that, uh, you know, I, it was bound to happen in an infinite universe that something would, would have been looking for, you know, they, there's all these sort of mechanisms that uh, you hear from those who want to diminish those questions. And that they're all ultimately very unsatisfying philosophically, like they they almost fall apart as soon as you ask the question, like, why would you even hold that? People have to fall back on, well, the reason I'm holding that, and then they start talking about their values and they start, and so it doesn't support itself. We're still stuck having to answer those big questions and we still get inspired by, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by Jesus, but even outside of the Christian tradition, I mean, all, all of the world's religions are trying to speak to, why are we here? What's, death like why do we suffer is there meaning to that and we need those we need those answers we might not get them clearly but we do get insight into ourselves as we ask those questions i think a lot of times people can be really frustrated at the end of that process because it sounds you've articulated these methods which 
-hmm. are time consuming mm -hmm. and require almost a language in both instances in science and in religion we sort of acquire a new language with all of this and you get to some point where you're struggling and so you're clinging on to something that helps you to navigate the stresses of life and i think that's true for both science and religion and then you get to the end of current knowledge or at least some something um where there's more there's more to be said and so there's some sort of mystery about that and i'm curious in terms of science or religion or philosophy that connects them what are your thoughts about sort of mystery yeah. um and you, i know you've written or, or talked about or taught about mysticism and like mm -hmm. so could you speak to us a bit more about that mystery and mysticism what is that what does that mean and yeah so i have trouble with faith <laughs> when i was very young i think i uh I I really took the, the mission, like Jesus calling on us very seriously. And as I started to grow and was told things, you know, exposed to different aspects of the world, I started struggling with like, well, what was the foundation for why I was told that? And I kept finding that even when there was sort of doubt cast on something, I it didn't make me think that I wasn't still called in the way that Jesus called me. Like I, that didn't change. Mm -hmm. Uh, but because I like needed to have an answer because I needed to have reasons, right. You know, I didn't need to understand it. And I think on some level, I didn't want to be fooled. Like I didn't want to be someone who like took something and then was kind of fooled into something. Uh, I always wanted to try to push and test things. And it's maddening to do that because it doesn't end, right. It keeps, keeps, keeps pushing at things, but the you know the one thing I think I started to get a sense of was that reason brings you up to an edge if you keep following your reasoning, asking questions like, well, where where did everything come from? Well, what came from before that? Like those sorts of questions that little kids always have. If you keep pushing that, at some point it kind of brings you to a brink where there's not a clear answer, but there's definitely like a finger pointing and saying there's something more. And it's not enough to simply say like, oh, well, there's there's nothing there. It's almost like, there, no, there has to be something there. I don't have my full grasp. It's bigger than something I can comprehend. But there's something there. And the, to me, that's always where the mystery is. So God is like trying to understand what God is. I don't know if I can understand what God is. But there's something that's much larger than anything we can comprehend. There's something that makes sense of why we love there's something that makes sense of why we're conscious there's something that makes sense of why there's anything at all like all those big questions there's something there so i've always been drawn to mysterious uh you know mysteries paradoxes because i think they kind of get us to the point where we have to humble ourselves and say oh i i don't think i have the tools mm -hmm. to be able to comprehend that which is bigger than me and I, it will, I, I now have to shush. <laughs> I now realize that it does, I'm not going to get any further. And so that's, I've always been, I've always loved any kind of, um, and mystics who have had experiences that they then turn and share. But when their experience opens up and invites us into something new, but we don't have their experience, but maybe we have to open ourselves up to our own new experience. And that, that, I don't know, that process is not something that rationally can be um, defined away or like easily put into a box. 
I don't know if I answered that question, but <laughs> yeah, I think this there's a lot of tensions, and particularly in Christian faith, we have a lot of this, right? Where there's uh, paradox. Christianity is full of paradox yep. mm -hmm. of humanity and divinity, and I think even in the life of the church, just being a person who is faithful and and trying to live all this out, you have these sort of there's this um, abstract almost aspect of this where we're thinking about these these ideas, and then yet we celebrate communion with these really material things. Yeah with bread and, and juice or wine. And so this is going back and forth all the time between yeah. like the edge of our understanding and knowledge. And then this is bread yeah. <laughs> and to return to, to that. And I, I find great comfort and that's such a gift, I think, to be able to move back and forth between, yeah. between those and that the mystics can teach us about experience and, um, and then the theologians can help us with the ideas. And it's just this sort of gathered, cloud of witnesses yeah we might say can i tag on that for a second yeah so especially when you talk about this is bread yeah um, and jesus often talks in parables right jesus gives us all these metaphors and so i got i became in, tied to this question about mystery i'm really interested in this and what a metaphor is so um you know the word metaphor means that it bears you beyond it carries you beyond it brings you to something new I think we tend to think like I was an English major, you know, when I learned about metaphor, like a metaphor is just a, 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 a construction in language. It's really just like a simile. You're saying, oh, you are a lion. It's like saying you're like a lion because lions are strong and you're strong. And as soon as I've done that, I've taken this metaphor and I've reduced it down to some little equation because I know what strength is. And I, so I say you're a lion, it's because you're strong. I've taken away the metaphor, I've turned it into a simile. If I actually just sit with a metaphor, the metaphor can't be defined. It can't be shrunk down. It invites a new relationship. If I am bread, if I am the bread, it's a, oh, what does that mean? You know, what I know what my experience of bread is, but I can't reduce that now down to like, oh, what that means is this. I actually have to just be open to this continuously uh, informing metaphor which brings me to some new understanding or new experience. And there's like a power in that meaning that can't be reduced. It can't simply be like rationally explained away. And so much of our religious thought is metaphorical. It's so much of it is meant to bring us to some new awareness or some new I don't know, relationship with things. And the only way I can do it is through stuff that you know I am aware of now but that then takes on a meaning that opens up a, a new dimension of, of my being or a new dimension of reality that I can't totally understand. Uh, so I'm fascinated by parables and metaphors. Like they're so powerful. We talk about them. They give us all sorts of reasons like, what do you think that is? But they, they're never exhausted because it's just the very nature of what it is. So yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's great. I think that's for, for us as Baptists, um, we look to scripture as uh, an authority on all matters of faith and practice and yeah. so to have parables is such a gift because you that's why we keep reading it it's not like i've read it i know it and that's mm -hmm. it but the parable reveals something new in each context and each experience and yeah. when i think about metaphor my ninth grade english teacher mr christophic mm -hmm. he said um, <laughs> he used to make he made us do these th things all the time and, and i remember most of these things now because he added a physical component to it he would have us touch our hands our palms and then sort of fan it out and he would say a metaphor represents itself 
and something beyond itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about that in regards to what you're saying in Christian faith, that like it is the thing, it is the bread, but it's more than the bread. Yeah. This is life, but there's more than more than just life. There's something else here, and it's all encapsulated in this complicated way. And and again, but then becomes so simple. Yeah. Um, until we try to explain it, which is what philosophers do, and that's why you're here. So, uh, one of the other areas of your interest is uh, freedom, the yeah. idea of freedom or free free will, even. Freedom, and yeah. um, uh, for American Baptists, something that is important to us is this idea of soul freedom or the priesthood of all believers. So you might be a clergy person, but like you're not called any more than anybody else here to do the things that Jesus has called us to do. And um, it's aiming to sort of break down that divide. Um, you're not set above. And so um, everyone has the right to interpret scripture for themselves, to have a relationship with God for themselves. And that freedom is something that's really important in our in our Baptist identity. I'm curious what you and your work in philosophy what you might have to say about freedom, either in agreement with or that pushes up against that in some way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, when I teach classes on freedom, I usually start off by saying the more that I've studied it, the less I understand what freedom is, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just not easy to grasp. It seems like every time we talk about freedom, we have a different thing in mind that we're trying to get to. So if you think about like American consumerism, we're always talking about, do you have options? Like, I want to go down the cereal aisle and I want to have all those different cereals. And what's the value of that? It's like very little, right? That's not all that interesting. But we're also interested in freedom when we're talking about moral responsibility. Like that, you did that freely. Like that was something that you did. And then it gets tied into things about blame, you know, a lot of judgment. And so at least my Christian perspective on that, like I I was told not to judge. I was told, don't judge, lest you yourself be judged. Not that there's no, uh, that it's inappropriate for there to be a judgment, but that it's not really appropriate for me to be the one to make the judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I start to think about freedom in that sense, it almost invites invites us to like want to hold people accountable in a certain way, which seems positive and can be good, but can so quickly turn into something very negative and toxic, right? So freedom has this, it's its tough in that sense about moral responsibility, because I'm not against moral responsibility or accountability, but its its it's kind of, can be explosive. But then there's this other layer, which is about God and how I see myself with relation to God. So the problem of evil that, you know, everyone, Probably we all talk about it with, you know, in Job and I can't understand how there can be a God who's so powerful and so knowing and, and then little old me and how I'm held responsible to that God and all of the problems that emerge. So the, the conceptual problems that philosophers like to make a big, you know, make a big deal about, but just really the living problem of that, like what does that mean? Like how I want to be angry at God sometimes. Like, you know, I do want to raise my fists up. And that part of that's also part of like freedom. Like I want to sound, why are you saying that I'm free? But I also have to own myself. Like on some level, I am who I am. And I make, I am the one making the mistakes. I am the one giving into a temptation. And I can sort of point, you know, uh, I can point to things that happened to me and that caused me to do this at this moment. I can sort of try to to push that accountability off 
all I want, but then I still sit back afterwards remembering like, well, yeah, but I still did it. Like, I can't really hide away from that. So the existentials talk about my, like, you know, my radical responsibility. I can't hide from it. I don't know how to make sense of all of that. I don't know how to make sense of the fact that we use freedom as a weapon against other people to incarcerate someone, you know, in a legal system. Like, all, we do it in a certain way like that. We can, it becomes a problem for us in our faith. It becomes a psychological thing that I have to navigate because I, I need to be authentic to myself. And all these different like layers of, of the meaning of the word freedom are they're just they're very confusing. They're they're the, that's that point of rationality where you go, I don't understand this. But I also can't deny that this is the kind of being that I am. Uh, I, and I think those who do, like those who want to say you're just you're just your genes are running you or whatever the condition. There's, there's something radically wrong about that because it doesn't speak to this whole level of our real experience that you'd have to deny in order to make those kinds of claims. And uh, I think that's a, those are very dangerous kinds of claims to just diminish all of that difficult and unanswered issues about what does it mean to be a, living before God, living in the world as a free being. Um, so yeah, I don't have answers. But I love the tangled question. Like, I, love it. I love the fact that it's so problematic. Philosophers like to make problems for everybody. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, most people leave a philosophy class a little annoyed. I always, I, I always say Socrates said, you know, I'm the wisest because I know that I don't know, right? That's that old phrase, right? I always say, I want you to unlearn things. <laughs> if you can unlearn things, that'll be better. I knew you were a good teacher. And, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, have, I have two questions. One I'll ask now, then I'll open it up, and then I'll, I'll come back for another question. But um, I'm curious then, um, as people who are listening either here or online or listening later, um, what do you what do you wish that people would know about philosophy of science and religion? What 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 about that might be useful to someone who's just going about life and trying to be faithful? Well, I, so I guess the reason I mostly, because I, you know, from a young, I, from the time I was young, I was taught that the world is an expression of God. And if I take that seriously, then, then that science, it's just asking questions about like, how does this all work? Like, how's it all sort of set up? Is its own sort of devotion and worship? like to figure out what that is. And it's not a threat to religion. Like it shouldn't be a threat to my faith or a threat to a relationship to God. It's just another, uh, it's actually just another parable. It's like, it's another way to start to understand a little bit about my relationship with a creator. Um, and so I, I, I would say that's the reason why I'm into it. And I, I guess the more that we sort of understand what science is, and uh, as not threatening these, like not this mode of answering all questions and like the, the end all be all of rationality or, but, but, a, but an important part of taking seriously what it is to live in this world and not be irresponsible about how I live in this world. Um, that I think would, you know, that's the thing that drove me into it. And that's what I would want to impart on people, why we should be paying attention to what science is telling us and also what the limits of science are, like what the proper place of it is. In, a, in the overall scheme of things. Yeah, I think that's really, really helpful. And 
the paying attention of it all feels so important. And when I, I had a youth pastor say to me before that, being a Christian is paying attention, mm-hmm. paying attention to the suffering of those around you, mm-hmm. paying attention to the ways God is at work in all of the things around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and science uh, is one place that that happens. So I'm going to open it up. Uh, other questions you might have about philosophy of religion, philosophy of science, ideas of freedom, questions about questions, anything you'd like to, <laughs> to ask. And folks on Zoom, you can unmute whenever or just chime in if you're here in person. Well, someone that's wrestled in the space between, I guess, the physical and the spiritual realm, how would you speak to who we are as people, as both physical people in these meat suits, and as we are as like, relational beings and something that seems to be beyond the physical like how, how would that be explained in that tension that you've spoken about where these two worlds can seemingly collide but there's some synthesizing that can go on yeah so i always so i think that like well we we can talk about chemistry right like we uh, we are chemical beings and i think nowadays we're all pretty aware of how how much the chemistry of our bodies influences our moods and our what we think and how we behave. And there's a radical lesson in that, that I am not as in control of myself as I think I am, that I am not as uh, not as powerful as I'd like to believe that I am, that I'm at the mercy of things much more than I would, maybe would want to be. And that's also true for others. And when we start... So if that's true, so chemistry is kind of like influencing us. It's not as if that chemistry takes away the meaning of what it is to be ourselves. So I think of like love. And uh, when I kiss my wife, am I kissing my wife because of some series of neurons? Like, is that what's going on? Like, is that the real meaning of it? But the my experience is just an illusion? Of course, no. Like, I, I shouldn't be able, I shouldn't be undermining that aspect of it because I want to privilege this detailed little description. So if I, if I accept that, if I accept that love is something that's of a higher order and makes sense of why I'm even in relationship with other people, the, the chemistry then creates a challenge. What do I do when I realize that someone was just irritable with me because I had a lot, I said earlier, I had a lot of coffee today. That starts to affect how I behave. What do I do when I realize that somebody is at the mercy of things that are um, part of our material, our embodiment? Love has to now take that into account too. Like not not be so personally offended, right? I have to have grace for others and myself because we are not these. We are not gods unto ourselves that can certainly control everything about ourselves. I have to always be humbled by how limited I am and how at the mercy of things I am. So I don't know if that answers what you're, I don't know if that's a, what were you, what were you trying to get at? Like, do you have an answer for that yourself? I don't like to talk as philosophy. Like I used to, I'd rather have a dialogue. That response would make me think that you lean towards that we are more at the mercy of the chemical aspect of our body. Is that correct? No, because I think the freedom part is that when so say I say I'm going through some issue, I have choices that I could make, and I I can call upon thing reserves in me to make those choices, 
And sometimes what I call upon is something that's faith-filled, that's not something I even can comprehend, but it can transform me. Like we have that experience that I can move forward without really understanding or knowing, but just move into something and then it opens up something new to me. That only happens when I admit that I actually don't know what's going on and I don't have all the answers and I don't know exactly how to strategize, but I, I have faith to move forward. So I, I have to accept that I can make a difference and I have to accept that I can make choices and that I can be in relationships and that's meaningful. At the same time, it sounds like a paradox, right? But at the same time that I'm also so thoroughly like riddled with things that are outside of my control. Uh, there's only there's a submission involved in that that I find beautiful and incredibly hard. Right? Yeah, there, there's a, a saying that I forget from where maybe it was on your Instagram or something, but it was like <laughs> <laughs> the extent that we are free is the amount that we've been surrendered. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm butchering it, but something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, Hearing you speak kind of like makes me think that that's like the difference between us and the beast of the field. We have that, we can tap into that power outside influence that makes us greater than just what we physically yeah. are. I can't understand, I can't really give an accounting for why that happens. I just have to move with it. I have to submit to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I started to study philosophy. I usually tell my students philosophy is really, at the end of it, is meant to be self-transformative. Like, if I think that the point of engaging in philosophical questions is to get the right answer and solve all these problems, so then I have it in the book and I can, like, wow, like, that's not what it's about at all, right? But it's, they're, they're annoying questions, but I think the more you wrestle with them, it's almost like you're wrestling down parts of you that are unsatisfied and you have to you have to sort of get it out of your system. <laughs> so some of us have high tolerance for that. And some of us have lower tolerance. I just had a very high tolerance. I just kept on wanting to, and I, I love it, but it's all, at the end of the, the same result is I don't know anything. I have to submit, you know, and not everybody's there. I think there's a lot of philosophers who do not feel that way. Uh, they want put forth their doctrine <laughs> and it's usually a self-doctor right it's, it's i've come up with this and this is my view but it's always silly like in the it's, it's it's kind of comical in the field because when you find a philosopher who's published a whole lot the reason why they're published and reproduced in all these different books is because everyone else thinks they're wrong everyone else is like let's talk about it. i'll show you why this person doesn't know what they're talking about so it's, there's an odd that's not an honor to be <laughs> a well a well-known philosopher it means everybody thinks you're wrong i just say that to myself to make myself feel better <laughs> but i'm curious so i i'm curious to, of, of everyone else like so Free will has always been something that constantly comes up in my life. I always think about agency and like, uh -huh. did that person do it? Do they need to be blamed? Like, it should I, it, uh, whether it's healthy or not, uh, how do I, how do you all approach that question? Do you have, does that bother you? Or is it something that you're, you've already said, no, you know, I've, I've been able to let go of that. Uh, I don't know what, how other people, feel. I'm always curious about how other people feel about these questions. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not speaking specifically to free will, but I took a philosophy of religion class in uh, undergrad and found it incredibly frustrating. <laughs> Did not do well. Um, but I remember a professor asked, does religious experience justify religious belief? Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a turning point for me where I was like, maybe not, because I had grown up in a Baptist church and I had all this stuff taught to me, but I was never asked to like engage with it. Mm -hmm. Really or question it, like you were discouraged from questioning it. Mm -hmm. And that was like a moment where I was like, oh, there's something else. This doesn't have to be true necessarily and then it was like a whole I found all of my my philosophy classes very frustrating um because <laughs> <laughs> I, I want something more tangible yeah. and I I feel I think when I ask big questions I'm like but what how does that play out like what is the point yeah. of asking these questions mm -hmm. if there's not some action you can take mm -hmm. with that greater understanding like broader perspective yeah and so i tend to violate these questions and then i married someone who you know maybe they're philosophy because you're really <laughs> <laughs> so you're up at night and stop thinking about things and i'm going to bed because i got a to-do list Philosophy is like a therapy, and uh, it's you're only doing it if you're sick, <laughs> right? And there's yeah. there's something that is trying to. It, so I think it's actually a very healthy thing to not take those questions that seriously. Uh, there, there's a problem with taking them very seriously. I, I think philosophers tend to think that our reasoning is so powerful and so important that we have to like really use it to chronicle everything and organize everything and pierce through everything and show everything that doesn't make sense and it's not justified. And that labor it is just exhausting and never comes to a fruition. At the end of it, it's not like you have something solid. Uh, so if anything, I like, I, I'm jealous <laughs> because I think it's healthier. And I think at the end of the day, I, I, I still have that too. It's just, I go through cycles of, I need to ask the question and those are my down times. And I, and then I come back going like, okay, yeah, it's okay. I know that love is real. I have loving relationships. And I know that I'm called to be a loving person. And I believe that that's part of something larger. And that's enough. Like that's, I'm not going to doubt that. I don't know what I would do if I doubted that. So I'm okay with that. Who was who, who the person like in your life or... Uh, the author that you read, like that, really got you, I guess, into this, in this field, or got you interested in all this. It was totally my father. Yeah, yeah. My so he, he was a he. I'd say he's a very simple person. Like he's, he he wants you. He wants to just take care of nature, and he doesn't want to have lots of frills in his life. Like he, he thinks that at the end of the day, just being kind and loving to each other, like that's what it's all about, and. I, I would say I would say like he's the, he's the kind of person that if he saw you and you like you needed something extraordinary like oh my gosh I left this thing it's six hours away I need it and I have to be here now but I need it in the morning and he's like well 
I'll drive out there and he'll just drop everything. And you're like, don't you have things to do? He's like, well, I can do that later. Because he just sees that you have a need and he'll, he just moves into it because he realizes it's like a, he's, that's, oh, that's just a, that's a very small cross. I can do that one. And having watched him do that over and over again, like that's the, been the most profound lesson. And when he talks about faith, he always kind of says, like, well, you know, it, it's, uh, there's lots of different ways to talk about God. They all point to the same God. It's all the same God. And Jesus is telling us about love. It's that love is what we're called to be, called, called to live into. And he does it. You know, he does it. And so when it comes to philosophy and all those questions, I've, I've, I've sort of teased him. I've always found that at the end of the day, he's always been right. Like no matter how many complicated philosophers are, they've never said anything more than what he taught me. I always come back to go, oh yeah, so I guess my dad was right. <laughs> have you told him that? I have. <laughs> and he gets he gets very shy about it. It's so cute. <laughs> hey, you mentioned earlier he's a photographer. And I think that's a metaphor in and of itself that he would be the one to reveal this to you, right? Photographers taking beauty and allowing us to behold it. And I think that that's a very spiritual practice yeah. and the best of philosophy, like Brittany, you're talking about like the frustrating aspects of philosophy from what I understand, limited of philosophy of aesthetics, like the philosophy of art. There's some schools that try to categorize everything like this is art and no, 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 this is art. Yeah. Um, but the more interesting and helpful aspect of that is the, Hey, look, behold, yeah. And the pointing and that that's what being a wit how I understand being a witness in Christian faith, like that's your job. Point to the beauty, mm -hmm. point to the truth, point to Jesus. Yeah. So it makes sense that that would be so influential in your like pursuit of So we life. would sometimes take family trips up to the mountains because he loves, you know, he loves nature, he loves the mountains. And we would all be in the car, you know, a little station wagon, and he'd have all his photo equipment because he always goes everywhere with his photo equipment. And the sun would be setting. And he would pull over to the side of the road and say, just hold on. I need to do this. And he would get out. He'd set up the camera. And we'd be in the car, little kids, for like a half an hour, you know, starting to go crazy. Like, come on. We need you. But, but he would just sit there and take, and then he would call one of us out and say, no, 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 look. See how the light, that light is about to turn orange. He's like, this is how God paints. He would always say, this is how God paints. And as much as we like, we still, my sibling, we all make fun of him all the time. <laughs> but that lesson stayed, you know, and he would try to give us, uh, if he got figs or something at the grocery store, he's like, have you tried figs? Try this. And we, we'd eat it and, he, and we'd always like, that's not candy. And he'd say, no, it's better. It's God's candy. Like he would always sort of make the natural world beautiful and show us that like, this, the artificial things are not better than, than the natural things. You just have to have the eye to see it. And we close our eyes off to it sometimes. And I, so that was a big le learning lesson. Photography is very, he would say that. Photography is very spiritual. Yeah. Yeah, our podcast today is sponsored by photography. <laughs> <laughs> I want to um, also invite folks on Zoom. If you have any questions too, feel free to chime in. No pressure, but just don't want to forget about you. Well, it's nice not to be forgotten. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's a form of love in itself. Yeah, uh, it, with your focus, your dual focus, really on uh, on both religion and science, 
A few years ago, when there was a controversy among those who believed in science and those who talked about intelligent design, uh, do you recall your feelings about that or an approach to that? It, it seemed that uh, the dialogue was either or, either you believed in science or you believed in intelligent design, i.e. God. Uh, any response to that? Yeah, so I think, uh, so thank you for that question. That's a great question. Uh, there doesn't have to be a different, there doesn't have to be the tension between intelligent design and like Darwinian theory. And so just try to explain that a little bit, like, Darwin gave an account that he said, well, if you have these random changes and then you have a, have a bunch of uh, organisms, there can be pressures on them to, to shift the way that there will be reproduction so new traits will emerge, right? So we have this story. How that happens and what the background, what's driving that to happen are two different questions. And so intelligent design folks are just saying that the, the beauty of this world, the, how articulate this world is, that it must be the product of some being that has intelligence and purpose and order and, and perhaps love, you know, to create the kinds of beings that have been created. That's a religious, a religious conclusion <laughs> that one could have by taking a full account of reality. The the tension between those those two is because some folks will say you're not allowed to make that conclusion. You have to stay with there's just these mechanisms. There's no purpose to them. And I think that that is a disingenuous cutting off of, of who we are as human beings and what it means to be intelligent in the first place. Like Aristotle talked about, the Aristotle understood there to be purposes and direction in the universe. And the Stoics, uh, the ancient Greeks, believe that everything was sort of imbued with God's decisions and God's, uh, you know, providence. And it wasn't until we started needing to cut out God from science that the question of like why things are there and, and is there a larger purpose to things became removed from, from science. But it's never actually fully and successfully been done because you cannot talk about biology without talking about purpose. And if you can't talk about consciousness without talking about purpose, desires, organisms having desires, uh, it's all is purpose-laden language. And there's a kind of uh, uh, disingenuous dance where they say, well, we don't, we're metaphor, so uh, Stephen or uh, Richard Dawkins, sorry, Richard Dawkins says the selfish gene, right? The gene is selfish. The gene is what wants to move on. And you're just the result of the gene trying to move on. And he, selfish always has to be in quotes because the gene can't have a self or a direction or an intelligence. And so he'll always say things and then go, well, I'm saying that metaphorically. And I'll quote, you, we just talked about metaphor. I want to come back and say like, yeah, you don't get to just say, I'm only saying that metaphorically and then pretend that you still have a meaning there that isn't accountable to the fact that there's purpose. Uh, so I think I, I think it's a, was a, a, like so many things, people taking certain doctrines so seriously and not realizing that their contexts are so different that there's not actually attention there, but they want there to be attention. And so sometimes it's, I think it's just driven by that.
and and a larger agenda, right? I may not like religion. I might not like the way certain people uh, enact their religion. And so now I dislike religion and all, and I don't like the claims that you're making because you can't verify. So now I have to attack the whole thing. And that's a, a sort of aggressive and quite honestly, not very scientific response because <laughs> uh, science is, that doesn't provide those kinds of like hard, concrete answers. Like there is no God. Science could not even articulate how to show that or science should be very quiet on that, saying that that's not the sort of thing that we can investigate. And that's a very humble sort of response. But most good scientists will say, like, yeah, that's just not something that science can answer. But there's a scientism, right, that's taking science as a religion. And that that has really taken root, I think, in, in a whole cohort of people. And certainly has been popularized a lot, but I don't know that. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not troubled by it. I've never been questioned. <laughs> I never questioned whether there's an intelligent design. At least not for that reason. Maybe because of hard things that have happened in life. That that is that makes me question. So early early on, you uh, said something that I thought you would come back to um, in the discussion of religion and science and because we are observers, right? Uh, you said you had a complicated, you have a complicated relationship with the church. I was, yeah. um, I guess I've been thinking about that a fair amount of the time, because as you, as I um, see my involvement in the church is a very important part of my religion and my understanding and my purpose. Um, how has that played out for somebody who gives these kinds of things, the kind of thought that you do? Yeah. Um, so I so I'll just speak as a Catholic. I uh, my experience of the church was as a young person was always very good, you know, as an institution and the priests that I knew, the nuns that I've had a lot of good experiences. Um, but I, you know, as uh, as time went on, I realized that there is it's an institution of people who some, sometimes who are very flawed and sometimes who made decisions that were really god awful. Yeah. And uh, I then had to ask myself, how much do I want to be a part of and support an institution that seems so reluctant to be honest and Christian? Mm -hmm. And um, I believe that there's so many people in the Catholic community that are wonderful people. But as an institution, it's really there's a there's a big I have a big problem with the, the institution. So. I, my wife and I, we don't attend our church anymore. Uh, and that I, I was speaking earlier, there, there's a real loss there. Um, I think at some point we may look for something different. It just hasn't happened yet you know, for, uh, I think, for a variety of personal reasons in our family. Um, but yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that's kind of where why I was going with it is that the, the church the Catholic Church seems to have a different sort of relationship with its members than I think um, mm. Jesus would have <laughs> with, with the members of, of his, you know, his discipleship. So that's all, I don't know. I don't have a good way of navigating that right now. So I feel very kind of uh, at sea yeah. and uh I would, I, I really, I still identify as a Catholic. You know, there's so much of that identity. So many people in my life are still part of that church. And I've had arguments with 
you know, my brother-in-law who says he's not going to allow certain priests to corrupt and change what he knows is like part of his faith and that the good community is part of. And I can, I can appreciate and respect that position as well, but I, I have been struggling to, to reconcile that. I, you know, so. You would be welcome to look into the church family known as the Baptist church of Westchester. <laughs> I thought that, I thought that was pretty implicit, but uh, thanks for making it explicit, Jim. Um, I, my 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 younger sister is a ordained pastor. My older sister is a believer, but doesn't isn't plugged in and active in a church. And when I asked her why, she says, "Well, they're all hypocrites." And I said, "Yeah, and if you joined, you there'd be one more there." That's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But I I I just it is. I understand the challenge and the tension there because, yeah. and particularly the institution, I think of the Catholic church, we think of it probably more of as an institution than we do certainly about, you know, an yes. American Baptist church, the Southern Baptist may make it closer to the, to the uh, Catholic uh, institution, but the yeah. uh, soul freedom is important, but also having the support and the encouragement and the accountability of others in a community is incredibly important to me. Yeah. Yes. And I, I do think friendships of, of with people who are also yeah. believers and, and take their spirituality very seriously ha has been helpful to me too. But I but it's not the same thing as having that community, and I do miss that. So that there's gonna we're gonna figure that out at some point. But right now is a little rough. Yeah. Well, we'll keep you in our, our prayers then. Appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that question. Yeah. Can I ask um, for you? So, so like Bernie said, I was a philosophy major, and uh, we used to call them existential Wednesdays. But it was just like, what? It's a really funny day too. Um, but I, for me, like why I'm a pastor is the beauty of Jesus, but also beauty that I've discovered in poetry and novels and things like that. That that for me when I got to the edge of those questions, those particular expressions of beauty gave me something that was like, well, that's worth pursuing. Um, and so you talked about your father's photography. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of that as kind of his beauty. I'm just curious for you, like where where have you found beauty that's been a, a balm to some of those existential Wednesdays that you probably have? Uh, uh, so that, yeah, this may be also complicated. I think, uh, fatherhood, um, I, I always knew that I wanted to have a family. Like that was just, I, I, I had told Zach, I, I was involved in the theater for a very long time. I was really loved doing the theater. It was a lot of fun. And I started to think, oh, maybe I'll pursue this. And, uh, you know, my, my not wife yet at the time. Uh, looked at me and said, I don't think that that's for me. I can't do that. I can't go to New York. I can't. And of course, I'm step back for a second going like, well, wait, wait, is this a choice? Are you making, do I have to make a choice here? And I tried to shift away from that, that feeling, because that feels like, oh, you know, you're making an ultimatum. That's, that seemed like, oh, you're, are you going to control me or something? And that's not what she was doing at all. I had to step away from that and go like, okay, I have paths in front of me. What do I want to choose? I, it became really clear. Um, I knew that I always wanted to be a father and I knew who she was and I knew that I wasn't going to let go of that. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't like, I don't regret it. Like I don't look back and regret it. So you sometimes, Oh, I would, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe you had to make, I'm like, no, no, like not at all. Fatherhood uh, is so hard and has made me so humble. I think so that first time you hold a child and you just realize you had said before, like, shouldn't someone be like <laughs> checking me out? Like, like, I don't know that I'm qualified. But that there is something so beautifully sacred in that. And uh, just holding uh, my child and rocking and singing songs and singing, yeah. uh, those are some of the most sacred moments. And that to me, is that Jesus was there in that moment. Mm -hmm. And as time has gone on and they have grown up and they've gotten more complicated, you know, the other side of that is the suffering, watching them suffer, suffering because of them. And just trying to find the meaning in that because you don't want to, you don't want to suffer, but the suffering comes because of the love, you know, because of the way we are. <laughs> uh, and that oddly feels really beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially if you can get through the suffering to something else, you know, on the other, to the resurrection on the other side of that. <laughs> That is a beautiful moment, and in a weird, I, it's, oh, I always feel bad saying things like this, but it almost makes it feel like, oh, that was worthwhile, right? Which is a weird thing to say about suffering, and I don't think that's what I really mean. But there's just something beautiful about that other side of it too, to suffer for someone, with someone, through something, and then on the other side, still know that you're there for each other, you know, and uh, that. That's it. Yeah, that that has been the thing that makes me keep going through a lot of the hard times. I'm sure you can, you know, you and, that, can and that's that. and that's a metaphor that uh, speaks of our relationship with God as well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't and think it's, his struggling and frustration with us when we make choices that are not yeah. the best ones for us. Yeah, these aren't accidents that we use no. this language, right? Yeah. A parent and, and child. Yeah. Matt, I want to thank you for your time with us today. Um, we'll be back next month talking to someone else, <laughs> localish leaders and experts or otherwise interesting people. I hear that one of our future guests is a clown. So if philosophy wow. isn't for you, clowning might be. <laughs> so we'll look forward to that. But, but thanks for taking your time to talk yeah. with us today. And thanks, everybody, for your questions. Yeah, I want to say I feel very uncomfortable being on the spotlight. Zach knows this. I don't like it. And uh Thank you for inviting me, and you made this very easy. So, <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.